So this is our 14th episode, which means he's made 14 movies, but then if you count his Woody Allen movie that's, like, been released but not, I guess he's made, like, 15 movies. She doesn't count in America. No, I guess it doesn't. So, Kimmy, of his, you know, we'll say, like, 14 to 15 movie oeuvre, like, how much have you covered? Like, are you just, have you seen, like, the hits? Have you dug deep seen any like the deep cuts like where are you at uh i'm like uh yeah i've seen i guess like three or four of them so i have some work to do i need to go through and actually spend some time with timmy (laughs) well as we as we all as we all should should, right um are there any of like the big ones that you haven't seen that people might be like surprised like oh like you're a Timothy stan, but you haven't seen, like, this movie? For sure. Uh, Call Me By Your Name, I have not seen yet. And The King, which, I, uh-huh. based off the episode that I listened to of The King, I think I'm fine not seeing, because it sounds like it's just okay. <laughs> but Call Me By Your Name, I know, is the big one that I've fucked up by not seeing. <laughs> no, yeah, The King is definitely, like, a... Had that movie been made with, like, Ansel Elgort, I would have spent no time thinking about it. Yes. But it was Mr. Chalamet, so I did, you know. And and I I mean, I enjoy The King, like, and of course after I saw it, like, like, I mean, as you know, because you listen to the episode, we, like, literally traveled to Highland Park, Illinois, which is a Chicago suburb. I made my friends drive to Highland Park on, like, I think that was, like, a Tuesday, a work night, a school night, if you will, to see The King in the one theater in Illinois that was playing it. When it was going to be on Netflix, like, a week later. And I, like, came out of it, and I was like, yeah, like, I'll definitely watch it, like, on Netflix. And, of course, have not watched (laughs) it whatsoever. So you have not seen Call Me By Your Name. I have not. I was about to, because I got a screener for it in the mail, and then remembered that my boyfriend had wanted to watch it together. But I was like, okay, well, you live in Atlanta. Mm. So I'll, and I had watched the first, like, 45 seconds, and then was like, wait, but he said he told me to wait. So then I turned it off and never, like, followed through on that. But I've seen, like, so many stills online and, you know, watched so many clips that I feel when I do finally give myself the two hours to sit down and watch it, it'll just be, like, such a lovely experience and I'll finally be able to bask in both of them. I I really can't recommend it enough. It's, I mean, real, and I'm sure I've told this story, like, 87 times on this podcast, but, like... It really was the one-two punch of Lady Bird and Call Me By Your Name that solidified Timothy for me. And then from there, I just really had no choice but to stand, as the kids like to say. I think it was really like, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, like, Lady Bird was when I was like, oh, this is like a very attractive person. Mm -hmm. Like... I, like, for better or for worse, like, his character in Lady Bird is just, like, very attractive. I think that's, like, the appeal and what works so well about that movie is, like, you get that he's really hot, but you also get he's an asshole. Yes. So I was like, man, like, that character, like, Greta Gerwig, like, really understood, like, what that character needed to be like, where, like, I was very attracted to him, but then didn't like him. So I think that's kind of where, like, the hook came in. And then seeing Call Me By Your Name, oh... But the actor himself is very talented, and also this movie is hot, and also this character is hot. (laughs) But the through line is that he's hot, no matter what. Absolutely. Obviously, like, I found him very attractive, and then I realized how talented he was, and I was like, this just makes everything that much better. So with Little Women, were you, like, like, what was your, like, journey of going to see that movie? Was it a movie you were like, anticipating aside from the fact of Timothy being in it? Or, like, what was kind of your thoughts 
going into that movie. Yeah, I mean, I was just excited to see it. Um, I was not raised on the book, so I didn't have that same, like, visceral connection to hearing the announcement that the movie was coming out. I knew, like, some of the songs from the musical because of college, because a lot of girls in my class sang Astonishing, but that was kind of it. But, I, you know, I love Serge Tarsha, and I love Florence Pugh, and it, it was just such a, you know, A-plus cast that... By the time I got to see it, I was so excited. And the theater I saw it in was just packed with people because this was right around the time it had come out anyway. And most of them were like middle-aged, which I thought was so endearing because they probably just read the book over and over growing up. And they took so well to it. And especially with like Florence Pugh's monologue about getting married for economic reasons, the whole theater had this very like mm, quality to them that I found so sweet of just like, wow, you know, just, it was just so sweet. Um, but I was really excited to see Timmy as we so, you know, lovingly call him excited to see him in less of an asshole-ish role because Obviously, Ladybird, like, he's playing a boy that I would have clawed my eyes out to be ignored by in high school. Uh, you know, it was such a perfect, like, soft boy, fuck boy combo in that movie that to see him, like, because I forget that he's still young. I mean, Timothy Shaw is, what, like, 23 years old in real life? Yep. So he's young and, you know, hearing in interviews the way him and Saoirse Ronan have this brother-sister dynamic between the two of them, it was fun to see him as Laurie, even though he's very, obviously, like, buttoned up to the neck with formality, still to slide into these, like, goofy moments and remind us that he is still very much a boy, you know, who, even though he's got this mature, obviously, air to him and plays these very mature roles um, and, you know, can carry himself so well, it was nice to see him sort of just, like, throw his limbs around and just be a goofball and not be, like, scared to look stupid or silly or, you know... There was no, there felt like there wasn't very much pretense around it, which I loved. Yeah, I think that's something that like not only really comes across for him in his performances, but also like when you see him like in interviews and you see like, you know, what we see of him like on Instagram and Twitter, like he just like, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier with kind of being a fan of The Office before yeah. he worked with Steve Carell, like he just seems aggressively normal, which is like you were saying so odd when he's like this marble statue of a man, like a beautiful, like wafif androgynous beauty. Like it's weird for him to then like tuck his pants into his socks and like geek out over like meeting Ben Stiller at a Knicks game. Like it's, it's weird <laughs> that those two things coexist so well together. Yeah. Which I guess just argue yeah. the level of talent that he has because he can so seamlessly move between those two versions of himself, between the goofball who like, yeah, I feel like every interview I've seen of him, he still just looks like he can't, be almost like he can't believe he's in the room, but like there is that sort of shy, I, like I sense the introvert in him watching those, but then he just gives these like explosive performances and especially in Beautiful Boy for however good or bad that movie was, but to see him in such like a vulnerable space and to not, and to see him lean so much into that and just have these, you know, those like explosive, I don't know. He's, I just, yeah, there's so, it's so nice that we've gotten to see so many different colors of him, especially as he does press for these things to get to meet this, like, yeah, this shy little boy or whoever he is and versus these <laughs> men that he, you know, versus like these young men that he's playing. It's so, it's just so lovely. Yeah, I think like that's been something that's been really great about 
doing, I, I say having to this, this show, like someone held a gun to my head. <laughs> it's been so great about doing this show is getting to see the variety and getting to see how, even though he has done this short breadth of films that has really only been like the last five, six years, like he really has kind of built a lot of credibility on so little, mm-hmm. um, which is why I've been able to do an entire podcast about it <laughs> called Chasing Chalamet. Um, are you laughing at my transitions, Will? Listen, it's been a minute. I haven't It was done- a good one. It thank- was good. Thank you. You're laughing at my talent, and that's as it should be. I'm uh, supporting you. Thank you very much. It's a podcast where I, Dane McDonald, um, Timothy Chalamet, Thirst Machine of the First Order, uh, and a special guest deep dive into the filmography of the Oscar-nominated actor, Timothy Hal Chalamet. And as we've been alluding to already on today's episode, we are going to be talking about Greta Gerwig's 2019 coming-of-age period drama, Little Women. We're going to be covering our thoughts, feelings, critiques, praise. Uh, usually I say here lack thereof, but I'm fairly certain on my end, at least, there's going to be no shortage of praise only. Uh, whatever we want to say about this movie, then we're going to discuss Timothy's performance, the role he plays in the film, what function he serves to the story, is he cast well, what is his uh, participation in this film bring to the table for both the film itself and his career? Uh, and then, for the fun part, on a scale from one to five peaches, we will together grade the film in different categories. The quality of the film, Timothy's performance, his attractiveness, and most importantly, as always, his hair. Uh, so now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, I'm very excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, she is an actress in L.A. who has appeared on TV shows like Big Little Lies and Insatiable, and was also in James Gray's Ad Astra alongside Brad Pitt, which, like, hello, amazing. Uh, it's Kimmy Shields. Hi, Kimmy. Well, hi. How are you? I'm great. I was just looking, I had just pulled up uh, Timothy's Instagram just to get a latest feed uh, from our beloved golden boy. And just wanted to let you know that he celebrated Kid Cudi's birthday with Kid Cudi uh, 12 hours ago. Yeah, he he actually, like, he's, like, talked about being a Cudi fan. And uh, <laughs> at some point they must have met. And I know he, like, brought Kid Cudi to the King premiere at Venice. And, like, he came to his birthday. He's gone to his... Like, it's just an adorable little bromance. And, again, just, like, it's just so funny. What do you like, think what the is timeline like? is going to look like until Timothy Chalamet either, like, shows up on a Kid Cudi track or decides to release an EP of rap songs co-written by Kid Cudi? Yeah. I, I'm not sure, like, which one would come first. I mean, I love that journey for him. I love if that's where his path takes him. Yeah. No, I mean, I I support him no matter what he wants to do, so it's going to be great either way. Yeah. So, Kimmy, I tried I tried to give you a nice little intro there, but um, do you want to tell the listeners at home a little bit about yourself, anything I may have missed or, uh, you know, unknowingly passed over? Um, You missed the line that I said on an episode of The Middle that got cut out, but I won't fault you for it because it got cut out. So nobody ever saw that one line <sighs> that I had on that one episode of The Middle. No, I think you nailed it. I don't know. I'm just excited to be here and talk about <laughs> a cute boy and dive into some art. And I hope I do him justice and I hope I do you justice. And uh, I guess that's everything. Well, I mean, I'm as excited as I am to talk about Little Women. I'm Now I'm just going to be thinking about your, your line on The Middle that was <laughs> Probably, I, I, was it the best, like, the best line reading you've ever given and now the world will never see it? It's in some, like, you know, back catalog of ABC Studios. I mean, isn't that how it always is? Yeah, it's probably in some temperature-controlled room on the Warner Brothers ranch somewhere or something. So maybe one day I'll get a chance to go in there and 
see the line that never was and just think about all the opportunities that could have created had they kept it in the episode. But I'm not going to say I'm bitter or resentful of that or like I want my life back or anything because that would be dishonest. <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah. Only honesty here on Chasing Chalamet. That's how we like to keep it. Of course. Uh, so, Kimmy, just, you know, a little behind the scenes kind of banter here. You are on this podcast today because you are friends with past guests and what I'll call friends of the pod, Clay and Britt Keller. Is that correct? They had mentioned you were interested in being on the show. Of course, I was happy to oblige, which was great because we had some new Timmy content coming up just in time for the 2019 holiday season, literally released on Christmas Day was Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Uh, And I know we talked about it a bit before, but can you kind of give me a little insight into your excitement going into this movie and uh, kind of like what you were looking forward to in seeing it? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, knowing a little bit about the story of Little Women, having not grown up like reading it all the time, uh, knew that it was going to be a very cozy experience, a very fun thing to watch around the holidays. And that was actually like, this is a weird thing, but my first ever Spawn Con on Instagram was from the marketing team for Little Women. They sent me a box of like, just cute things like a poster and fresh lavender and uh, this beautiful like hardbound book that was sort of the movie companion book. So it went through and to detail of like the making of this movie and the characters and was very, very cool and sweet. That obviously made it created hype in my head and buzz about seeing this movie. And And I just loved it. I just, yeah, I loved the world they built. And I loved seeing, I I didn't grow up with sisters. So like movies about sisterhood are always just something that I'm always like kind of neutral about just because I don't know what that experience is. Obviously, I have like my best girlfriends, whatever. But I didn't grow up with that dynamic in my house. It was like me hating my older brother and then finally becoming friends with him. So but I always love seeing them just to like glean something from that bond. Yeah. And like I said before, I, I knew some songs from the musical because of going to school for musical theater in college. And yeah, but I very much loved this movie. I loved most of the performances. Obviously, Timmy was one that I loved. What else? Am I rambling? <laughs> I just thought it was a great movie. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, like, for for me, it was like, I think going in, this was definitely something I was just extremely excited for, you know, looking back the last decade, like, the through line of most of my favorite projects is Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. I love Frances Ha. Mm-hmm. I love Lady Bird. Lady Bird, like, far and away, you know, like, looking at my best of decade list, like, if not for Call Me By Your Name, like, Lady Bird would have definitely been number one. Sure. So going into this movie, I was just very excited because it was kind of, you know, Saoirse and Timmy back together again with the addition of your Meryl Streeps, your Laura Derns, you know, just this ma- amazing, amazing cast. You know, Florence Pugh, who, like, was really just kind of a rising star like really cresting with this movie i was just i mean we we literally did like a trailer reaction video on the show because <laughs> i was just so excited for this movie i love what you said about not growing up with sisters because i i think in the press tour for this and i, I want to say maybe it was in her vogue interview i can't remember but greta gerwig has been like very vocal about how she didn't grow up with sisters and how that really played into her love of Little Women. Because kind of like you, like, I have not read the book. Um, I set out a year ago to read it before this movie came out. And it's just, it's a it's a thick, lengthy text. And I, I love that, that for it. But I just didn't keep up. <laughs> She's not that, it's not that big. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it just, it was, it was not a book 
I kept up with. Um, all that being said, uh, I was just super excited for this movie. And I got to go to an early screening of it here in Chicago uh, and then saw it again on Christmas with my family. And like you said, it's just, it's like a warm hug of a movie. It just, it feels great. Um, I had a friend who said that it was just so nice to think like, oh, every year on Christmas, I'm going to watch Little Women. Like, it's just, it's so nice to think about. That's so sweet. Yeah. Really, like, (laughs) this was one of those, like, Rise of Skywalker moments where I went in with, you know, expectations, except like, except for in this case, they actually were met, which was really lovely uh that did not happen with rise of skywalker but this is not a star wars podcast so we don't have to talk about that (laughs) but yeah let's dig into kind of general discussion of the film um and i know we've done that a bit here but i think what really struck me first and foremost about this movie and i was actually thinking about this a little bit more recently as opposed to when i first saw it but i was thinking about the fact that in little women and lady bird and really kind of any any movie that greta gerwig has either co-written, written, or directed. I love this idea that she doesn't really have, like, the classic antagonist character. Like, she kind of lets life itself be an antagonist in her films. Like, if you think about Lady Bird and Little Women, it's not as if there's kind of this, like, oppressive force that the main character has to kind of overcome. That antagonistic force is really just coming of age. Like, in the case of Lady Bird, it's navigating all of the relationships in her life and little women, it's just kind of overcoming society's expectations of you. There isn't really, and and obviously those things are personified in different characters to a degree. She really lets, and I, I, I kind of got into thinking about that in the sense that really any, any character in any Greta Gerwig movie is always given at least one scene where that character gets to really like shine, mm-hmm. like no matter how big or how small they are. I was thinking about that in the scene where Beth is playing piano and Mr. Lawrence, the camera pans out and he's like crying on the stairwell. Like it's just a, just such a beautiful moment. And, you know, he's not, a, he, he's a, you know, he's a substantial supporting character, but he's not by any means, you know, like one of the March sisters. And I just, that got me thinking about how each character, no matter who they are, no, you know, no matter if we're supposed to like them or dislike them, each character is kind of given a moment of grace. And it really just kind of keyed me into this idea that Greta Gerwig, she's really a humanist in the sense that she sees, I'm not sure if it's the good in everyone, but she definitely sees everybody's worth. Yeah. And that's just so lovely to sit in a movie and think that no matter how you're feeling about these characters at a certain time or place, there's always going to be give, there's always going to be that moment where you get to see who they are. Mm-hmm. With a with a expansive cast like Little Women, those moments just happen like all the time. Yeah, I guess that's kind of, and now that you're saying that, it's making me think of like Lady Bird where... I wouldn't call Lady Bird like the protagonist because she's so, I call her the, obviously she's the lead, but like she's so flawed and I rewatched it like back in December and was like, oh, she is kind of annoying at points, but it's so easy to empathize because you're like, well, she's just going through so much though. And she's like this square peg and a round hole sort of thing. And yeah, she's like, she's not perfect, but you still just, she, there are so many beautiful moments where you get to sort of see inside her brain and understand and same thing with her mom. And like, yeah, those, just those little moments that paint these really beautiful pictures of them. So you can tell that like, they are written with no judgments. just, they are written as, as who they are. And I love that in Little Women, which is, such a huge ensemble you know that's such a big cast but yeah it does feel like everybody is honored throughout the film with with these little 
moments and these sort of pictures and tableaus of them just being fully themselves whether or not they're aware that someone is watching them you know and I just love that yeah I was especially in comparison to Little Women which is so I don't want to say Little Women's not a personal story for Greta because obviously it is she grew up reading the book and she talked about this being a very like a a passion project for her Mm -hmm. but Lady Bird is seems very autobiographical whereas Little Women is kind of this popular text that everybody knows so it was interesting kind of watching her go from this very small you know independent a24 feature to this studio film based on a book that everybody knows but still bring that same mentality and that really just speaks to her vision as a filmmaker you know it makes me think about how you know when when marvel gets it right they bring in these kind of auteur you know directors who kind of stay within the marvel vein but really put their specific stamp on a film i feel like in a way, Greta Gerwig kind of came in to a degree like a Marvel director and made Little Women the way she wanted to make it, but also made it this like big studio movie that came out on Christmas Day and families went to see. Because at the end of the day, she recognized that that's what this movie is. This is a, it, There was almost like a part of me when I saw that it was rated PG that was like a little surprised because I was like, oh, it's PG. That's so like marketable. And then I realized like, wait, that's exactly what Little Women is supposed to be. <laughs> it's supposed to be a family move like here I am like in my cynical like late 20s self like oh everything has to be like world weary and like I want to see the suffering and the blood and it's like uh, which you know little women has suffering like mm-hmm. let's not mistake any of that but I, it, it, it it took me a moment to be like oh this is a movie she's making this movie so five six seven year old little girls and boys, for that matter, can watch it and have it move them in the way she was moved when she read the book. You know, the story is transcendent for people who would rather live under different circumstances or, you know, that's a thing that never goes away of like wanting something that feels out of your reach or not feeling like you deserve good things or something. But that's what I just love so much about like these things where you feel like you're living in a snow globe because the movie feels like it takes place in a snow globe. And it is so there's something fantastical about it in that way. And yeah, you get to escape the real world for two hours and whatever's happening and here now and, and go and watch these sisters just like love each other and watch someone so passionately and unapologetically chase their dreams and break out of a thing that they don't feel they need to be, you know, confined by or, solely identified by and that's and I like you said it's so special that there's a generation of kids who just saw that for the first time and are now going to watch it every year and it's going to become part of their lives and I I don't know it's just such a cool thing that it's now however many people are like read the book having seen the movie and sort of reintroduce it into the world that way and how exciting for the group of kids that get to be raised according to little women you know of like having that Mm -hmm. drive in them and seeing themselves in these characters and I don't know. There's that's just so cool. Like it really is such a timeless story. It's kind of ahead of its time, I guess, in that way of like just telling you to chase your dreams no matter what, or like you don't have to be restricted to where you come from. You know, you don't have you don't have to identify with that. Or it's just so good. <laughs> it's just such a good movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. Like I feel like I feel like a lot of times when I or anyone uses the word wholesome, it can be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And in this case. Wholesome is exactly what I wanted Little Women to be. Exactly. And I, I love that it can be both that, but then also kind of quietly revolutionary. I, I, I had a feeling like this is what was going to happen with the movie, just given the way our society is moving and the way that I just feel like Greta is as a filmmaker. But coming out of that movie, 
in feeling as if Joe March's potential queerness was communicated. It wasn't like bashed over your head. I just, I loved the way she left her story open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that she reworked the ending to both honor Louisa May Alcott's life and also show, you know, and that's kind of, you know, if you want to find a flaw with the original text, it was that Joe March is this like, you know, proto-feminist character who, you know, at the end of the day, like doesn't eat a man. And then she ends up with a man. And I love that Greta wrote an ending that both honored the ending of the book, but then also broke new ground and allowed Joe March to be the 21st century heroine that needed to exist in this movie. Because this this isn't a Little Women that, you know, would have been made 20, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, yeah. I've actually not seen any, like, I, have, I haven't seen the one from the 90s, so I can't speak to it. But it just, it felt like this was the Little Women that we needed to see in 2019. Totally. Yeah, I love that. Um, so you had mentioned earlier, responding to some of the performances, and obviously we're going to jump into... Mr. Shalomay's work, are there any other performances that really kind of stuck with you or that you wanted to mention before we kind of give it over to the man of the hour? Honestly, I was really, I really loved Eliza Scantlin. She kind of was like this quietly glowing person. Like, I know Beth does not have much, obviously she dies, so she clearly doesn't have as much screen time as everyone else, but there's something so Mm -hmm. pure about Eliza Scanlon's face. She just looks like a doll to me, and so to put her in the position of Beth, who's this very, just just such a peacemaker in the family, and someone who just wants things to be good and soft and okay, and just wants to play piano, and is so, you know, and wants to bring food to the neighbors, like, and her performance was just so gorgeous to me it it wasn't like putting on any and maybe because it was so highly contrasted against Florence Pugh as Amy as being so Amy you know but there was Mm -hmm. something about Eliza Scanlon that I was just so part of me was just like god we need to protect her because she's still so young and I know she's only done so many things and obviously Sharp Objects is like absolute batshit great and nuts and she's so great in that (laughs) to see her in this very I don't know what the word is. I guess just like this demure position uh, was just so effective and it made her death even sadder. There was nothing that made me like, oh my God, shut up. You know, it was just so, Mm -hmm. so pure that it made it even more heartbreaking when she does die. I wanted to like Emma Watson so much, but her dialect was just so distracting Cause she like famously is not great at doing an American accent. And so it, when you're mm-hmm. in a cast of four women, none of whom are American and yet you're the only one who sounds the least American. Like it was just getting so distracting <laughs> to me, but God bless her. She's doing the best she can and she's great and wonderful <laughs> and so smart and all of those things. But I was just like, Ugh! like it just was irking me a little bit. And I know Saoirse, like she slips up when she gets upset in her, like she starts saying words like murder mercenary which is not how we would say it but a part of me is like whatever she's just passionate and it's fine (laughs) yeah and like laura dern is just flawless and will always remain that way and meryl streep is fine wine you know everybody just like just knocked it out of the park i just thought it yeah i did i was not disappointed by anything except emma watson's dialect no yeah that makes sense. i mean and i i totally agree with you like that's something that people talk about all the time and I don't want to say that I'm like an Emma Watson apologist because I think we all like Emma Watson. We just kind of like have 
issues with her performances here and there. I happen to think that her work in the bling ring is like <laughs> top five performances of the decade. So she kind of gets a free pass for me for everything. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of think about how in casting the movie, like I almost feel like why Emma Watson works is almost kind of an extra filmic thing of just knowing how smart and intelligent she is. Mm-hmm. So to watch her play Meg, like when that, when the dialect falls flat or maybe you know of the three if she's kind of giving like the least engaging or interesting performance i'm still like but emma watson is so smart and she loves to read books and it's just so nice that she's here like like, i know like in a in a lesser movie i would like let that be ammo for me to like critique it but in a movie this great i'm just like oh but i'm just happy she's there hanging out sure 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 and i I love that you brought up eliza scanlon because i'm in the same boat with you where coming out of it i was like Sersha and Florence are going to get all the praise and they deserve it. But Eliza Scanlon had such a hard job because she had to be so quiet, like you Mm -hmm. said, so docile. And that's not a showy thing. And kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about how every character is given kind of these moments of grace or these moments where they get to kind of like shine, even though she does get that scene where she plays piano. For me, there's this scene where they're all sitting around the table and she like quickly like pantomimes spoon feeding her little doll next Mm -hmm. to her. Mm-hmm. And in your mind, you're like, okay, there's this 19, 20 year old actress who's like playing 12 and that could, it's on paper, it sounds very weird. But like with her performance, like I just, I bought it. Like I, it, it's almost like people like to make jokes about how like, you know, Martin Scorsese spent like millions of dollars, like de-aging De Niro, but like Greta Gerwig put bangs on Florence Pugh and all of a sudden she was 12. <laughs> but like, which, you know, like, honestly, that's true. But for Eliza Scanlon, like, there is such a, like, innocence to her performance that, like, you almost, it just, any worry I had of them looking older or younger in various scenes really melted away for all of them. And that, that moment, especially for me, where, like, I just bought into everything that she was doing. And it was so weird that, like, literally the other week, um, my boyfriend and I watched the pilot of Sharp Objects, which I've seen the whole series, he hasn't. And I was like, that's Beth. Like, that crazy rollerblading bitch is Beth. <laughs> that's so and he was psychopath. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so weird. There's just, like, some, yeah, there's something so ground... Well, I mean, her performance is so grounded, which, is, co- of course, is, like, the last thing critics are going to notice when they're just looking at Saoirse Ronan, like, pa- giving this speech about women's brains and how smart they are. And, like, of course, that's literally the whole point. But, you know, I just... There's something in me that champions for those ones in the background that are so grounded, that are just existing in this world and they get their little moments like feeding their doll or her this like the sweetness of those scenes of them at the seaside or she's trying to cure Beth like those Mm -hmm. things that I'm like without that it would just feel like this melodrama almost and not that like Sir Sheridan's overacting by any means or that it's not grounded but it's just such a nice beautiful balance to the fieriness of say joe and amy to have her just so sweetly yeah like on the fringes as this sort of guardian angel over the rest of them but that performance is just so good and i i hope it gets her what she deserves which would just be like multitudes of work and offers banging down her door whatever but yeah she's just but it it now makes me want to go back and watch sharp objects just to like clock the qualities of her performance because she's so good in sharp objects too she's such a sociopath Mm -hmm. it's so good yeah no i i I agree this so much of this movie is the performances and the characterization and if 
not for those supporting characters, you know, from Eliza Scanlon to Tracy Letts, like the flavors of that of this movie just would not come together if we didn't have all of those great supporting bits. Exactly. And I almost wonder if as great as like Sersha, you know, and Florence are like, if, th- if that was all we got, would it just be too much? Like, it's almost like they have to have us have these little grace moments in order for everything else That's to exactly. kind of shine, which is which is really lovely. And definitely Greta's strength as a filmmaker is understanding when those moments need to happen. Um, another of Greta's strengths as a filmmaker is casting Timothy Chalamet whenever necessary. Is this where you insert the sound effect of applause? Because we should. (laughs) So talking about his role in the film, I mean, it's almost a no-brainer. Greta has talked about Saoirse. I believe there was a discussion where someone had kind of talked about Saoirse as her, like, quote-unquote, muse. And Greta was like, no, she's not my muse. Like, she's my partner. Like, Mm. she is contributing just as much as I am to what's happening here. Um, So it's, it's great to see, like, them still working together, but then to, like, see Timothy come along for the ride. Like, it's... It sounds almost, like, too easy, but, like, yes, of course, if Greta Gerwig is going to write and direct an adaptation of Little Women off the heels of Lady Bird, of course Timothy Chalamet is going to play Laurie. Like, I just don't think there's a question about it. Totally, totally. How do you feel like Timothy existed within the context of this film? Like, what was your kind of reaction to his characterization? And we'll jump into performance a little bit later, but, like, do you think that he was, like, a good fit for this role? Was this something that you kind of saw as kind of, like, a no-brainer, or...? What were your feelings on that? Totally. I mean, we sort of discussed this earlier about like him having this boyishness to him and the dynamic between him and Sir Sharonin having been described as like this brother-sister bond. So coming in with that real life context and just seeing their chemistry in this context, it really made a lot of sense to me and not having really anybody else to like compare because... You know, there have been so many adaptations of this in the past, but having not seen many of them, so I don't really have any other, like, lorries of past to compare him to. Like you said, having not as much experience with the book, like, I, there, I just, there wasn't, like, this Rolodex in my head of young leading men I would love to see in this role. But for Timothy Chalamet, who is this clearly, like, breakout star from the Call Me By Your Names of the world, like, to see him as this leading man who gets to still be, like, silly. I really enjoyed it. I just loved watching the two of them, and which I'm sure at the time, having to reconcile being this very rich, very buttoned-up person, but still being a teenager at the same time, you know, like, looking for those moments where you get to act like a teenager, and for Timothy Chalamet, like, who is a young man who was growing up in the world, but who is still very young, and we want to see him, like, be silly and goofy and not just this gorgeous wayfish, like, you know, it's just, I just think he did so well, and I think he balanced, you know, those two things so beautifully. Mm-hmm. I really agree. It really speaks to what we were saying about just how he has so much, like, variety and nuance throughout his work, where we see the innocence and we see kind of almost like the naivete and the childishness but we also see the maturity and we see the poise and like in a film where we're going back and forth between two distinct timelines of youth and then you know kind of young adulthood burgeoning adulthood you need an actor who can do that and i you know for my you know there's a lot of kind of great young actors but Greta Gerwig has worked with him and knows what he's capable of. And I, I love this idea of creating, you know, almost this pairing between Sersha and Timothy where 
And I love that it's almost kind of a riff on it where it's not like a, like a Hepburn and Tracy thing where they're always kind of like quarreling lovers and then they finally get together. Like, I love that there's this like one of, you know, in, in Lady Bird, like he gets to be the jerk who like breaks her heart and then Little Women, you know, she breaks his heart. And God, I hope we get a movie where like, where they eventually like end up together at the end. But it is <laughs> lovely that they're kind of creating this new narrative of kind of the romantic pairing. You know, I, I know we have uh, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, but it's nice to have kind of like the, uh, like almost like the Urban Outfitters version of that in Timothy Chalamet and Saoirse Ronan. Yes. Oh my God. I love that so much. That's such a, yeah, yeah. Like Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are like the J Crew version and Saoirse and Timmy definitely both work at Urban Outfitters and are in love. Right. That really tracks. And we need both. And I want to live in a world where I get to shop at both stores, but well, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, we've touched on it a bit, but is there anything about the performance that stuck out to you? Like was there a moment where you just really felt like whatever he was doing was working for you or just kind of his general presence throughout the movie? Yeah, I mean, it's like we said, Lady Bird, he's playing such an asshole. And there is that thing about teen boys where you want to break their heart so bad when you get scorned, but they don't, they don't care either way. Like there's something so unavailable, you know, an unawareness of that, where even if you're like, well, fine, then I'm going to go say make out with this other boy, they're not going to notice or care either way. And so he's someone that I'm, you know, in the ladybird, I'm like actively rooting for him to fail somehow. And in this, it's performed so well that I like, I'm sad for him because you know just how deeply he loves Joe but you know how right Joe is that it would never work and so to see him upset that, like there's something that I it, there's nothing overbearing about his performance or something you know there might be other movies you see where the man is like pursuing the woman so much and in your head you're like oh my god just take no for an answer but to see the two of them duke it out and the big fight and for Joe to explain and I don't know. There's something about him, his performance that just makes me want to put my arm around his shoulder and just take care of him because there's such a beautiful vulnerability to him about being rejected by her. Um, and I still like, I don't, I still don't know how I feel about him ending up with Amy. I feel like in the movie, I'm sure in the book, it's much more fleshed out, but in the movie, it just felt sort of like, by the way, Joe, this isn't, you know, what you think it is. Like, I really do love her. And part of me is like, God, is he just like saying that? Like, it, it was hard for me to mm -hmm. fully commit to or understand which, what his angle was in that or what, how it's written to be. But yeah, there's a silliness and a goofiness and something. And, and he's still so charming, obviously. And he's got this like soft art boy thing going on that I totally buy and love for him. Cause that feels very, cause based off of looking at his Instagram, that feels very reflective of real life where there's something about him that is kind of a fuck boy or like a Tumblr boy, <laughs> but in France yeah. with paintings on an easel or whatever. <laughs> Right, like what's like the what's like the nineteenth century version of a fuckboy? Yeah, I kind of I want to talk about the the Amy romance because I totally one hundred percent get that because kind of going in and then understanding like that's what happened. I almost wonder because we we kind of mentioned how Greta kind of reworked the ending to kind of have it both ways, if you will. I almost wonder if that's something that she also kind of didn't love. Like, I wonder if she didn't love that Lori ends up marrying Joe's sister, but felt like, okay, I'm taking this big swing at the end and kind of changing the ending. Like, do I, like, I wonder, like, how much of that is her feeling 
you know, like, she needs to adhere to the material. And then kind of working her way backward to, like, okay, if I'm gonna do this, if I'm gonna get them together, this is what I need to do to make it make sense. And I felt like she wrote those scenes in a way that taking myself out of the context of, like, this is the sister of the character that, you know, he was in love with first or whatever, it did work for me, um, especially as the movie continued and there were, like, the scenes of, like, where she's, like, molding her foot in the bucket. And she's like, I'm making it for Lori because he knows I have small, beautiful feet. Um, I should just say her delivering that line of, I have small, beautiful feet, the best in the family, is probably my favorite delivery of the year <laughs> in any performance. It's just so... It's weird for to say this because it's, like, little women and it's not something you, I think I would say about this movie. But, like, Hugh gives this very, like, broad comedic performance that is, like, it wouldn't be out of place, like, in a Mel Brooks movie. Like, it's so big, but beautiful. I don't know. I, we're past talking about Florence Pugh, but I just I just love that. But I love I that idea of the that. Mel Brooks analogy, because that really makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, she could totally be Madeline Kahn in Blazing Saddles. Like, she has that in her, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I hear where you're coming from. I think I just... Yeah, like, I I just keep coming back to this idea that, like, it was almost like Greta knew she had to get them together, so she, like, wrote it and directed it in the best way that she could. Right. Even though that is a storyline that really seems like it really plays into, like, the conventions of the time and, like, how it's almost like with the ending where, like, Louisa May Alcott was probably like, all right, well... I have these characters and something's got to happen. So this is what I have to do. And I think that's just the the modern challenge of adapting work that old because you have to come at it with the understanding that it's a different time and there are different, you know, and it's like, yeah, I think, and but this is probably just an entirely different conversation about like what you do with adaptations like that. If you are trying to introduce it to a modern audience, you know, if you want to like honor the original without completely alienating your people or, your audience or like using it like you know it's just like what is the goal of using old material like this that is representative of a time that does not reflect how we might think now or you know and how do you Mm -hmm. breathe fresh life into it but I think that does speak to the success that Greta Gerwig found with her adaptation because we get to still champion Joe and and she does get to have that ambiguous ending which is so lovely and so reflective of what it means now to be like a career woman and you know and still constantly having to like play against that expectation of marriage or job and why not both and why not neither or like whatever that looks like and yeah yeah, and and knowing that like they wrote that monologue for Florence Pugh 10 minutes before she gave it about how her property doesn't belong to her and her children don't belong to her that really humanized Amy for me in a way that kept it totally rescued her from just being this like whiny brat of a sister because now knowing that she's so smart and there is such an intention behind what she's doing and why I just thought it was so beautiful and thought it was so honest and and you know obviously like that was sort of the bridge gapper of like see this is what really puts it into perspective of what was going on for these girls at the time versus what the options are for girls now and that like the things like that were such a great like reconciliation of the time the differences in time periods between these which these things were made which I just thought yeah which Mm -hmm. is such a great thing and again why it's so exciting that the young people who saw this 
on Christmas Day of 2019 that will continue to revisit it, that they get to have this as like that kind of just that resource of like the way things were and the way things are now and hopefully keep moving forward in that hope that like it gets better and you know those standards right. even out of what's expected of men and women and it's just great it's just a great movie <laughs> i know and yeah like in in you saying that it kind of got me thinking about how one thing that i do really actually like about the lori and amy romance is so much of this movie is about the different paths women take and the choices they have to make and you know, how two women can make two completely different choices, come to two completely different conclusions. I do like that. I know that Meg does get married to um, John Brooke. And that is kind of like that, that would satisfy the like romance within the film. Mm -hmm. But given that Brooke isn't really a character we spend a lot of time with, I don't think that you invest in that relationship as much. So having two characters who take such prominence within the story end up together kind of does satiate that, need a little bit so i'm wondering if maybe that that part of it like worked a little bit for me too where it kind of and i mean obviously like this is like this the the purpose of it within the structure of the story it's like if joe and Lori aren't going to get together there is some satisfaction in that in a traditional storytelling way and it definitely probably would not have worked in the same way had greta gerwig not humanized amy so well like if she kind of remained the bratty unlikable amy that a lot of the adaptations kind of have um, it definitely wouldn't, you know, have worked in, in the in the same way. Well, and it is a bit like have your cake eat it too, because Amy, you know, like she gives that speech and is like, "This is literally a, the exact reason I am marrying this person." But then, and so knowing that, it just so happens that she is actually in love with Lori, who just so happens to also be rich. So it's like you know whatever her aim is at like marrying Lori, she kind of gets everything she wants in that respect and we obviously again yeah. we don't spend a ton of time in the Lori Amy we spend some time in the Lori Amy world but it's usually just her being mad at him for not loving her back so by the end when they're married like yeah I guess I would just love to see more of what happens within Lori to make him change his mind about Amy or to really see her in that way and take it seriously enough to then join households with her because we've only seen this sort of like puppy love the way that she's chase always chasing after Lori by making a mold of her foot or like trying to go ice skating like those things so mm-hmm. but again like within the confines of a two-hour movie still was so love done in such a lovely way and and I love like the moment that happens between Amy and Joe when they come over and they just have this sort of glance and Joe is great and gracious and is just happy for that her sister's happy and like, you know, bringing it back to like the sisterhood element of the movie, which was just so sweet and so nice. And it's like kind mm-hmm. of like, okay, well, if Joe's okay with it, then we're okay with it. Like this is okay. And this doesn't feel weird. <laughs> and, like, you know. Yeah. No, I love that you brought up the moment because um, I love, when Joe says life's too short to be mad at one sister, yeah, uh, one sisters, and it's like, it, yeah, you're right. It like brings it back to those relationships and that sisterhood, and like it's just so gut wrenching. And I love that we've ta- we've we've taken so much time in talking about Timothy Chalamet's performances, talking about like the women around him, because that's really something that um, I found in watching all his movies. He is so happy to be a supporting actor mm-hmm. to women and that is exactly what this movie is yes um if you look at lady bird if you look at miss stevens like he is always like 
there is just no vanity to him when it comes to like whatever role he wants to play which i feel like that's something you always hear like you know when someone's like on jimmy kimmel's couch they're like i would have been happy like (laughs) you know doing craft services but like I get the feeling that Timothy is literally like, whatever you want me to do in this movie, I will do in this movie. And he is not there. He's obviously there to serve the character he's playing, but it's in the service of these women's stories. And it's just so nice that he is so game to do that. Like, he's, he just always seems so game to play the exact part he needs to, and he never tries to outshine anybody else. And that's partially due to the fact that, as we've said, Greta builds in these moments where each character gets to shine so it's not like he has to create those at all but he's just like so happy to be part of an ensemble and it's almost like he went into this movie being like this is these women's stories and i'm here to serve it in whatever way that i need to Mm -hmm. but it's like their show and i'm just here to make it better wherever i can well also i think that speaks to him like not needing to prove himself because he clearly is a leading man he can carry an entire movie on his shoulders so him in laurie there's no sense that he felt that it felt like Oh, I'm just an ornament. Oh, I'm just this. You know what I mean? Like he's doing it, as you said, in support, like in solidarity of these great women in this story and just adoring Greta Gerwig and trusting in her so much and just wanting to be part of it, which is just so cool. And also really advantageous that he has only been famous for like two years and no longer needs to prove himself. It seems like he'll never be in that position to be like, I know let me show you guys. I can really act. It's like, no, we know like you've literally been nominated for an Oscar and you're 23 years old. So like, he's fine. He'll be fine forever. (laughs) Will, did you want to jump in with something? Yeah. Well, I think that is the essence of what Lori is. Like he's essentially a March sister. Mm -hmm. And I think all the girls are in love with him. And I think there's a joy about him staying in the family. Yeah. And he has to be supporting of everyone. Because frankly, he's kind of the little brother. Mm-hmm. Like He's literally invited. He's invited into their gentleman's club. <laughs> I love that like, scene. And he doesn't have any other friends. <laughs> I think it was like in Greta's like statement after getting nominated for an Oscar. She's like thanked him and said like, the fifth March, March sister, which is just so sweet. <laughs> I do. I love that scene where they're all like upstairs and like Joe is like putting on the performance and she's like, it's so cute in the book too. Yeah. And I just love, I just, I love when it cuts to Eliza and Florence and Florence is like, no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, it's so sweet. Ugh, I just, I, he's, I love, I've, I've said this so many times in the show. I hate like sound like a broken record. He takes so many small moments to imbue his characters with just, like, these little interesting tidbits. Like, the shot where he's, um, he's with his tutor, and he's, like, standing on the chair. Like, mm-hmm. he's fucking, like, Washington going down the Delaware. He's just, he's so, he seems so game, like, to just try anything. Yeah, there's a fearlessness and a an up-for-anything quality to all of his performances which is something I know again that like Saoirse Ronan has said in interviews that he's a great tennis player because he'll always come at you with something fresh and you never really know what to expect with him which is so fun because he's still such a he's still so like I don't want to say like up and comer like again I feel like he's he's arrived but there's nothing like jaded or like you know none of these they just all feel so fresh and you can see like the love for the process of making these movies and like rehearsing together and maybe living in the same hotel or living in the same house while you're making this. And it, 
you can just sense the love for it in that way that he just loves playing and loves getting into that space and you know and, and knowing that his directors trust him so much to be silly or be goofy or stand on the chair and and justify it and it makes sense in this story and it makes sense that he would do it it just is so beautiful and it's so integrated and so fun to watch. It's just fun to watch and I'm sure just fun to edit because you have this person who's going to give you a buffet of options, which is what you always want, obviously, from your from your performers. But yeah, within, within the context of this movie of like just him, him being a silly boy who is isolated and doesn't have friends and his best friends are these four girls and also like not being threatened like there's nothing it's not like his masculinity is at risk or his being a a young man is is like that's not you know he's just having a good time and he's just loving this family and loving a chance to be silly and play and and love these girls it's just so it's just so nice and because Timothy Chalamet like you said has this like beautifully androgynous thing to him like that to me is just a very secure man he's like not there's nothing that seems to him like he is threatened in any way about his masculinity or who he is as a man. You know, like, I just don't see that. That don't get that from him at all. So it makes so much sense casting-wise for him to be in this role where he is so comfortable as, as himself that he can just be best friends with four girls and not feel like an outcast for it you know and they're so welcoming to him that it just is such a beautiful extension of their family into his yeah no i i hear you it's it's like what you said about eliza scanlon like we just have to protect him at all cost and any like any bullet of cynicism that comes near that man we just have to block with our bodies if necessary block and report immediately exactly well let's go ahead and jump into the ratings are you ready for that kimmy let's peach it up Peach it up, as we should. I, I love that you're jumping into the peach scale. I mean, I, you are a person who exists in the world, so I'm sure you know the role the peach plays in Call Me By Your Name, but I do love that you haven't actually seen it. I do have a peach tattoo, though, so I feel like I... <gasps> like a distant cousin, I suppose. But obviously, yeah, no, know about the peach. Very aware of the... That's so, a lot of dedication to this podcast. Right, <laughs> wow. The first peach... Uh, we Helen did make us a peach cake, but a peach tattoo... I mean, that is just... That's dedication, Kimmy. <laughs> so, on a scale from one to five peaches, what would you give Greta Gerwig's Little Women? I would give it a, I'd say four and a half peaches. Are we allowed to do half peaches? Yes, we can do half peaches. Okay, I would say four and a half peaches, only because I'm always scared of giving definites to things. Like, I can't give an all five to an all five out of a five. Sure. That's just my own anxiety. So I would say four and a half. I'm usually in the same boat as you. I don't know why. Um, When I assign like letter grades to movies I will never give an A plus however I will give a five out of five stars so who knows that's just the humanity in me because I contain multitudes um but I I'd go ahead and give it a five it was definitely my favorite film of 2019 uh as I said I went in with a lot of anticipation a lot of expectations and they were all they were all met um so I really just have no complaints I just I think it's a lovely perfect little film and just you know all hail queen greta i just whatever whatever and whatever she does i couldn't be more excited for in the future absolutely she is our lord and savior miss greta gerwig uh timmy's performance one to five peaches and yeah so half peaches quarter peaches whatever whatever <laughs> however you want to slice it you can you can you can give whatever number you want well having said that i'm scared of like definitives i would give him like a 5 out of 5 peaches because i just love him in this role and uh I, yeah there was not one part where i was 
disappointed or felt like I was just watching Timothy Chalamet be Timothy Chalamet. Like, I just loved him. He felt he fit so perfectly in this world and it was so beautifully performed that I have no choice but to give it a five out of five. <laughs> no choice. I No, I'm right with you. It's It's five out of five for me. It's like a puzzle piece. He just fits perfectly into this little world that they created, you know, almost by design. That was like Louisa May Alcott knew one day that Timothy Chalamet was going to exist for us and she willed this character into existence so he could play it. Um, yeah, I just, I think it's, it's the thing that I love about all Timothy performances. There is a vulnerability and a willingness to try anything while also s- something I love about a certain kind of breed of actor is when they're both performing a character but you do see these flashes of themselves come through and i i think that you know i'm not an actor but i have to imagine that that is how you come to a character and that is how you faithfully play somebody so to see kind of this through line of the silliness and the playfulness and i've talked about this on the podcast he i'm always fascinated by his hands he always does a lot of really interesting hand acting to me (laughs) um so to see those things come through where he's you know, playing a distinct character, but I see these flashes of Timothy uh, in a role that just seems so tailor-made for him. It just, it really works for me. It's a beautiful marriage of character and actor, and I just, for me, it's five out of five, you know, no question. I love that, yeah. All right, getting into the fun stuff. His attractive, attract, I can never say that word correctly. It always stumps me. It's because I'm, I'm just quivering with anticipation <laughs> thinking about, talking about, objectifying this beautiful man. His attractiveness, one to five peaches. So I don't know if you, there's like that dumb thing that people say sometimes that like a good suit on a man is like lingerie on a woman. And <laughs> in, in most ways uh, align with that phrase because I love a man in a suit. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. There's something, yeah, just so handsome about it. But so that being said, I would give him a five out of five for attractiveness because seeing him in a be- in beautiful jackets and trousers and nice shoes. I mean, it's just like, it's nice to see a man who, whether or not he wants to, care about his appearance and be <laughs> so fluff, fluffy and ascot it out. I just love it. It works for me. I give it mm-hmm. a five out of five. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really with you. Like, I sometimes I worry, like, if I'm giving too many fives, too many perfect scores like but i can't help it like he's just he's like you said he he just he wears the suit so well and i just think of that scene where like amy sees him walking through the park and his scarf is like hanging so perfectly around his neck and he just has that turn and like it's not like he's wearing like you know it's not like a tight fitting suit but it's not too big like it's it just everything is just tailored perfectly and just the way he like flings himself onto couches and plays and that's, I mean, like, it's kind of, like, his worst scene in the movie, but where he, like, throws the champagne in the air when he's yelling at Amy. Yes. Like, I almost, like, hate talking about how attractive I found him in Ladybird because that character is such a jerk that I hate <laughs> perpetuating this idea of, like, oh, if a boy's mean, like, he's gonna like me eventually. Like, I hate perpetuating yes. that, but I feel like Lori is kind of almost a better composite for that because Lori, his outbursts and his occasional anger or resentment is kind of it fleshes him out. It makes him more human because he is so great and perfect so in so much of the movie. And we don't see that as much with Kyle, uh, his character in Lady Bird. Um, though we certainly get it because as we mentioned, Greta loves to give all her, her characters moments of grace. But 
I almost love just that, like, seeing him angry or be, like, a little bit more of an asshole, like, makes me love him more and find him more attractive. Because I'm like, oh, like, we're seeing all the colors of Lori Lawrence. Yep, yep, yep. Also, just remembering that his name is Kyle and Lady Bird is, like, it's just too on the nose. Of course, this fucking guy's name would be <laughs> Kyle. infuriating i know um all right his hair one to five peaches i think i'm gonna give it a four i wish it was longer because i love when he has like that shagginess to his hair because that just feeds into his like Mm -hmm. little artistic soul like oh i just woke up like this but i just had to go act um I like it. I, like I just like not being able to see all of his face. That's so that's what's part of the appeal. But um, so I would give it a four four out of five peaches because it still looks great and is nice and quaffed and and lovely. But you know, yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I'm gonna go a little higher, give it four and a half. But I'm kind of in the same boat as you. And it's so unfair to to our beautiful boy. But because we get to see him with his real hair on Instagram and in the you know paparazzi photos and. I think Ladybird hair is like peak Timothy hair. Like you said, it's just yes. so in his face and like shaggy and makes him so mis- like it's it's unfair. Like it's I hate to compare it, but it is the one thing we grade that I I kind of have to compare on you know on a on a on a scale because we we've seen how it looks. We know what it looks like. It's 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 an you're right. It's a little shorter in Little Women. Um, it still blows very nicely in the wind. You know the scene where he and Joe are. Uh, arguing on the hillside like there's a lot of great uh, hair in the wind action um, but yeah it's I wish it was a little longer but then again you know I don't it's know if that so would have worked much better than the worst hair we've had oh sure oh we are we're, we're eons above that awful wig he wore in the Adderall Diaries what did you guys give him for the king again really low score right uh, oh I kind of I feel like I liked the I, I think I kind of like the bulk. I don't know. Sometimes sometimes I mistake variety for quality. So <laughs> I think just the fact that it was a different haircut, I was like, ooh, yeah, I'm sure. intrigued. I don't know how I feel about the bulk cut. I, because I have, well, <laughs> again, like you say, as if it would affect the performance, but I haven't seen The King. <laughs> but I did, I mean, and the bulk cut to me is more like Ezra Miller territory where I can see that for him, but... There's something to mm. Timothy because he is an office fan because he listens to Kid Cudi that like I I just like him more with the shaggy hair that just feels more on brand to me. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It's he's definitely not someone who would ever have a bull cut in his real life. Which like again, he's an actor. Like <laughs> that's what he's supposed to be doing. Yes, but you know, in this day and age where you know Timothy Chalamet, the the personality, and Timothy Chalamet, the actor, are you know those things have never been farther away. It's hard to imagine him with a with a haircut like that. Yeah. Well, Kimmy, I think that about does it for our now 14th episode oh of gosh. Chasing Chalamet. I, thank you so much for joining us and, and, and dialing me. in from halfway across the country. Anytime I would do it for you and Timmy any day. I hope I didn't <laughs> ramble too much or get caught up in any sort of tangents, but that's to be expected when talking about the great Timmy. Absolutely. Tangents and uh, divergences are more more than welcome when we're talking about our 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 beautiful young actor. Um, is there any place that people can find you on the internet if you so desire them to? Sure. Uh, I am both on Instagram and Twitter at Kimmy Shields. That's Kimmy with a Y. My Twitter handle is actually Kimothy Chalamet. <laughs> which I don't know how I didn't mention until now, but you'll find me there. And if you're looking for me on Instagram, just look for the picture of Hugh Jackman. And that is me. 
<laughs> and that's it, I guess. Yeah. Is there anything you want to promote or plug any, you know, stuff people can find your, your work on? Uh, I don't know. I don't think very highly of myself, so I don't have anything really to promote. But yeah, um, <laughs> Insatiable is a show that I'm in on Netflix. If you want to watch that, uh, if you want to see me with a pixie cut, then you can watch the first season of Big Little Lies. <laughs> and <laughs> I guess that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, amazing. I'm sure we're going to see a lot more from you in the future. And uh, if and when you do act alongside Mr. Chalamet, you get to mention that you were on a podcast about him. That's right. And I will tell him you say hi and hopefully get a <laughs> personalized video out of it or something. <laughs> well, I more than look forward to that. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Dane McDonald. The show is on Twitter and Instagram as well. On Twitter, we are Chalamet Chasing. And on Instagram, we are Chasing Chalamet. Uh, please email us at ChasingChalamet at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, please consider giving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And please share this podcast with your friends, your family, whomever. There is a beautiful back catalog of episodes edited and produced by myself and Mr. Will Bybee about all of Timothy Chalamet's movies, so you can jump in anytime, anywhere. And yeah, that is about it. Chasing Chalamet is written, hosted, and produced by me, Dane McDonald. The show is also produced and edited by Will Bybee. Our theme music is by Jacob Horn. You can hear more from him and his band, the Jacob Horn Trio, on Spotify, Apple Music, and Bandcamp. Our cover art was designed by Jessica Deal. You can find more of her work at jessicadeal.com. Deal is spelled D-E-A-H-L. And until next time, later. Later.